This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're in a mini-series right now, and I confess to you, I don't know how long this mini-series is going to take, but we're studying unity in the body of Christ from this wonderful chapter in God's Word. In a broader scope, God has led me to take these Sunday mornings through the rest of this, our 50th anniversary year, to, be, uh, to deal with certain subjects that all churches need to be reminded of, uh, things that are going to strengthen this assembly, uh, help our walk with God, help us be a brighter testimony for Christ. But certainly we can't be a bright testimony for Christ if we're not unified. I'm so thankful this church is unified. Every church has been used of God, has a history, and all of that history doesn't necessarily reflect unity. But I will say this to you, the fact the church still exists on whatever corner, whatever street, is because there were still unified people in that church that kept their eyes on Jesus, continued to work together, to work through those difficulties, those problems, and remain a light for Christ. And so, by way of review, we started out uh, remembering that our understanding of Christianity must be based on two things. First of all, who we are positionally. Who we are positionally. We're going to get the PowerPoint up for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, don't turn there, but Paul reminds that church, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many, are one body. He's emphasizing that. So also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. And I mentioned our satisfaction comes from Christ. You're not going to find it anywhere else, Christian. It comes from Christ. And we are one body in Christ. That's who we are positionally. But we also have to remember who we are relationally. And that brings us to Romans chapter 12. Again, we tend to focus on the first couple verses in this chapter. Where Paul begs, he beseeches, he urges the uh, believers in Rome by the mercies of God that they present their bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove, flesh out, illustrate what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We know those verses. We've memorized those verses. Uh, I think every morning we ought to quote those verses back to God. We ought to remember that every day as we start the day God has given to us, we need to make a formal presentation to the Lord. 
present your body a living sacrifice. Stand before the throne, surrender all of you to him. But then as you read on in the chapter, one of the ways that we help each other to live as living sacrifices, you have to have a unified church. Believers unified together in the body nurture, encourage one another in their growth and walk with the Lord. That's why forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. You folks are so faithful. But every assembly has believers that are not faithful. And they've convinced themselves, if I'm not in the assembly, it's going to be okay. No, it's not. We are a called out assembly. We're an organism. Separate, cut off anything from the organism. The organism may survive, but whatever got cut away, that's not going to survive. So my ability, even as pastor of this assembly, to grow in the Lord, I have to have Good News Baptist Church. Your gifts ministering to me, your example and testimony, your verbal encouragement, and your prayers. So our understanding of Christian unity is based on these two things. And so again, my burden is to let the scriptures speak to the actions required in our lives that will promote unity here for the glory of God. It's amazing how God works. When God laid this burden on my heart, we still had a bus behind our facilities here that you could drive down the road. We don't have that bus anymore. And in fact, there were several of our dear members who were on that bus. They're all recovering from an accident. One isn't recovering. He's perfect and in glory. I dare say he's even thanking the Lord for what happened on that bus. You know that's true. All right. Do you think, just maybe, God allowed that to happen to help unify us? I believe that. I believe that. All right. So what are the actions necessary for a church to be unified as they pursue their relationship with the Lord? Again, we've titled this message, this series of messages, Unity in the Body of Christ. We saw last time that the first uh, thing that needs to happen in a church family for members to be unified is that they need to follow the leave-cleave principle. By way of review again, look at verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation, without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. So follow the leave-cleave principle. It probably goes without saying, but sin in an assembly of believers is not going to contribute to unity. It's going to contribute to disunity. And I could, again, just elaborate on that we don't have time this morning but it will if if people who know Christ are participating with the enemy in any way it's going to affect the unity in that in that church 
When you don't see believers here after a few weeks or a couple months, you need to pray for them. Them being detached from the assembly means there's probably something happening in their life. And, and call them, encourage them. You may find out it's illness. You may find that they really don't want to talk to you because there's sin in their life. And that sin can lead to things that can rattle the church of believers just like when someone in a family gets in trouble. Now, that can be used of God to unify the rest of the family, but, but it's hard. So follow the leave-cleave principle. Next, think like the family we are. Look at verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Now, we took time to look at what all of these words mean, but essentially we are challenged to think about each other this way, to prefer one another in honor, to honor one another. Now, not everything that the family of Christ does is honorable. honorable. We don't just dismiss that, but we do show honor. We show grace. And we view people as deserving of more honor than we think we deserve. And I also shared with you the scripture passage that says, let each esteem other better than themselves. And, and simply that means we're to look at others as being more important than we are. Mr. Taylor, that transformed any youth group. If one teenager would look at another teenager and think, they're more important than I am. And I'm, and I'm going to honor them as I walk with God. But, but think about that in the church. The problems in Corinth, people that were being neglected at the table of the Lord, that love feast, how did that happen? Well, some thought they were more important than others. They didn't give honor above themselves. And, and we see the problems that, that resulted in Corinth. So... Think like the family we are. Have you ever stopped to consider, as you sit here on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and you look around, that this is the family God gave you? And God gave you to that family. Well, they don't need me. You didn't hear that from God. You're hearing that from you, and you're wrong. God gave you to the family, so act like family. Be there for the family in order to bring glory to God. Think like the family that you are. Number three, serve with fervency. And this moves us now to verse 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. I love the way that verse ends because whatever we're going to learn from this verse, it's unto the Lord. It's not just unto us. It's unto the Lord, serving the body for Christ. Now, the word slothful is a word meaning lazy. It also means hesitant. It's a lazy, hesitant attitude in serving the needs of others. The hesitancy may come from the inconvenience the service may cause. You know, when people have difficulty, it's not always convenient. Well, this is great. If it's right into my schedule, I can help. 
How does that work for you parents? Okay, I have some free time. Children, do you have problems? No, it's when you're the busiest and from the other room, ah, okay. It's time to serve and, and parents respond. And by the way, you can identify those cries, right? I'm hurt, I'm angry, I'm about to kill my sibling. You, you recognize all those cries, they're different. But as parents, we're not lazy and hesitant to respond to that. We don't practice laziness or have a hesitant attitude in helping others in the church. The lazy spirit pauses, hoping someone else will step up and meet the need. From this passage, our business is serving the needs of others in the body of Christ. And notice what the scripture says. We need to do this fervently with all that we have. Do you know what that word fervently means in the original? It means to boil. Have you ever looked over a, a pot on the stove that's boiling? Everything in there is moving. I mean, it's stirred up, right? That's what we're to have when it comes to our business of serving others in the church. Again, in that pot, nothing is still. There is great energy. Everything is moving. Now, in verse 11, we see the motivation Serving is a Greek word that means bond slave. We are the Lord's bond slaves. We were bought from the slave market of sin to serve him, that master, capital M. What a blessing. But I'm not my own. I shouldn't be lazy because I belong to him. And when he calls or someone in the family calls, I need to respond with all my heart. We serve the Lord. Now, our response to the needs within Christ's body should be that of a bondservant zealously responding to our ministry for the spiritual help of the body of Christ and his glory. This means responding to needs that are material, needs that involve someone's spiritual well-being as well as their health. Needs in a church often come a few at a time. But what happens when they come by the busload? We just had that happen. By the busload. And you and I know that means all hands on deck. I just woke up all the sailors in our assembly. General quarters doesn't mean some get to sleep in. Everybody responds. But you know, the blessing of being part of the body of Christ is no matter what's happening, everybody responds. We can all pray. Praise God for the fervent response of this assembly to multiple needs that have come from what we've experienced recently. Yet the obvious question for all of us is this, do you have a fervent spirit in serving the needs of your church? I've said this before, I'll repeat it again. If everybody at Good News served the Lord like you serve the Lord, what kind of shape would we be in? 
If everybody responded to hurt and need the way you respond, what kind of a church would we have? Well, I'm so glad that they don't have to count on... No, we, we do count on you. But that doesn't matter. God counts on you, and you're going to get to talk to him about that. Serve with fervency. Now, for unity in Christ's body, we need to follow the leave cleave principle. Think like the family we are. Serve with fervency. And next, persist in confident hope. I love verse 12. Let's look at it. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Wow. What, what is that talking about? I'm going to take or make a true statement, and then we're going to see how this statement is true. And then we're going to look at the verse. Dr. Ron Allen who is a personal friend, pastors Bible Baptist Church in Matthews, North Carolina, made this statement recently in a conference that some of us were in. He said this, quote, people who don't quit on people in the church bring unity, end quote. Every church used by God has been through deep waters. Every church. One of the ways God preserves such a ministry is that there are people there who won't quit on the Lord or each other. Now, this has been part of good news as past. Uh, the other two churches that I've been privileged to pastor before I got there, in their past, there was a past where if everyone had just fled the trouble, there wouldn't be a church there. Some did leave. But then there were those that said, no, God has put this testimony here. We believe his grace is sufficient. We're going to stay by this stuff. We're going to handle problems biblically as hard as it is so that this light can continue for Jesus Christ. Now, how do people not quit on people in the church and maintain unity? Well, the Greek language allows us in verse 12 to change the word order without doing damage to the meeting. And I agree with Adam Clark, the commentator, who points out it helps us understand Romans 12, 12 better. So look at it this way. In hope, keep on rejoicing. In tribulation, keep on enduring. In prayer, keep on persevering. And the result will be unity. Each of these exercises strengthens the other, resulting in in stubborn persistence and unity. Doesn't matter what happens here, you're not getting rid of me. I'm going to keep loving and serving, and, and you may not like it, but I'm, I'm here for the long haul. That, oh, that attitude is so valuable in a church. So let's, let's take this apart now. We have the confident hope, what is that, of Christ's return and eternal glory with him. had the privilege to be at a memorial service yesterday for a sister in Christ, Cherry's daughter. There was rejoicing in that service. There was no finality in that service. Why? Because of our hope in Christ. Everything for Gail just got perfect. Hallelujah! 
media. And by the way, that's my future. Every day, with the aches and the pains, and it's getting a little harder, you know, this, this body isn't getting better. But someday it's going to be perfect. As I see my glorified Savior, and I do so in a glorified body. So, with that confident hope, should we not keep on rejoicing? Absolutely. John the Apostle spoke of this in 1 John 3 and verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. All right, that's for sure right now. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all God's people said... Amen. Cause for rejoicing. Cause for persistence. Don't quit now. Persist. No matter what is happening in Christ's body, being with him is our confident hope, so rejoice in that. Now keep up your confident rejoicing because... Tribulation is upon us, and it will continue. So keep on enduring through the power of the Holy Spirit. He hasn't left us alone, and I can do all things through Christ every single day. A rejoicing, confident spirit helps a Christian endure tribulation. Testing doesn't have to threaten unity because of our final end. We're going to be with Jesus. And he's using the testing to prepare us to be with Jesus. Now all of this is fanciful, this kind of thinking. You're not going to be able to maintain this unless you are prayerful. Prayer, prayer is what is required every moment of every day to keep our perspective right. You're not going to wake up, put your feet on the floor and say, oh, yes, I'm going to rejoice and, and just continue in tribulation today. I got this. No, you don't. No, you don't. But if you're looking to the Lord and you're talking to the Lord and you're continuing in prayer, you're going to be steadfast, unmovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, and you're going to persist in ministering to your Savior and to the church family. So keep persevering in prayer. Paul had this same challenge in mind when talking about the armor of God in Ephesians 6. Do you remember that passage? How did he end the passage? Ephesians 6, 18. Beloved, or I'm sorry, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. And then what? For what? For all saints. There it is. Okay. Well, I thought the armor of God was for me. It's for you, but it's also for the army. It's for your fellow believers. Be persistent in prayer. Now, because of our being with Christ, we should not stop rejoicing. Tribulation doesn't change our being with Christ, but is meant to make us ready. So keep enduring. And the only way to persevere and keep going is to keep praying. 
This allows us to persist in confident hope, which unifies the body of Christ, strengthens our resolve to serve the family of God fervently. You've heard the story. I love this account of Martin Luther and his wife. Martin Luther was a converted Catholic priest. His wife was a converted nun. And there was a time when Martin Luther was hiding in a castle and he got discouraged. Some would even say he was depressed because of the tribulation. And one day, as he's sitting in his study, his wife, former nun, walked in and she's in a funeral gown. Got Martin's attention. Who died? Who died? And his wife looked at and seriously said, God did. What? God didn't die? She said, then Martin, stop acting like it. Got his attention. Stop acting like it. We only have cause to rejoice. Study the book of Philippians. Paul is chained to a Roman soldier in a Roman jail, prison. And all he can do is rejoice. How's that possible? The very things that he says to the Romans in chapter 12. Now, unity in Christ's body requires we follow the leave-cleave principle, think like the family we are, preferring one another, serve with fervency, persist in confident hope. Now look at verse 13. Verse 13, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. The next means to unity is the church in the church is fellowship through hospitality. Fellowship through hospitality. The word distributing is the Greek word koinonia or koinoneo here and has the idea of cooperation to meet other saints' needs. Cooperating together. So when something happens, the church cooperates, they fellowship towards the needs of the saints. Now many of us remember the plot of a movie. You might even recognize it from this picture. It's a wonderful life. Do you remember the plot? George Bailey is running the building and loan that his father started. A rich tycoon, Mr. Potter. I hate Mr. Potter. All right. That was the intent, I think. Mr. Potter's trying to buy up the whole town. On Christmas Eve, George's Uncle Billy loses the business's $8,000. Mr. Potter gets his hands on it and he hides it. As a result... In an audit, George Bailey is going to go to jail. But despite his despair, thinking that the world would be better without him, you'll remember that the townspeople all fellowship, they cooperate together. Remember that last scene? I'm talking about before the bell on the tree rings, okay? <laughs> that scene where they all come pouring in and, and they're dumping money on the table. It's a wonderful life. 
Well, I don't want to be silly, but you know when God's people get hold of that and fellowship through hospitality, it's a wonderful church. Have you ever considered that whatever, whatever God has done to supply your needs, he has done that to supply the needs of your church? Yeah. The body all fitly joined together as every need is supplied. Who does that? It's God. It's God. And by the way, good stewardship is... I save all I can. I'm a good steward with what I have so that I can give away more. That pleases the Lord. God strengthens the unity of a church when God's people fellowship, they cooperate this way in coming together to supply the necessities of other believers who can't meet their own needs. The best way for this cooperation to happen is for members of a church to be given to hospitality. That's the other part of the verse. Given to is literally the word pursue, when they pursue hospitality. So imagine a church where believers are looking for ways, seeking out opportunities to serve the needs of others. Wow, what a church. Someone says, well, I can't do that because I don't know many people in my church. That doesn't apply to me. I'm new here. Well, have I got good news for you. Do you know that the word hospitality means to entertain strangers? In the ancient world, hospitality meant somebody is coming into town. We don't have hotels and we and any of that. And they knock on my door and they say, look, I, I just need a bed tonight. Hospitality was, come in. Come in. We'll, we'll take care of you. Now this brings to mind the admonition of Hebrews 13.2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. Wow. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, based on the previous illustration I used, I'm not talking about Clarence, okay? Don't, don't go there, okay? All right. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. All right. But some have entertained angels unawares. Abraham, Lot, and maybe even you. Is it just possible that God might send an angel your direction to test your hospitality? Now, this isn't my idea. This is what God said. Christians practicing fellowship through hospitality is something the body does for any believer who is needy, not just those that we know. Again, I'm seeing this at Good News with you new families who have joined, who hear of the need, don't know for sure who that is, but I just saw an email, and you're responding, you're right there with the rest of us. Hallelujah, you get this. Praise God. And so this is what brings unity. My question, and we have to stop here, but my question is, what has God said to you today 
about your service to the body that should be helping to unify the body of Christ at Good News. I've tried to be specific as the Holy Spirit has led me, but I'm so thankful. I'm just the spokesman. I'm, I'm the herald, the Holy Spirit living in your heart, Christian. He takes it and he applies it to exactly where you are. What has he said to you about your service in Christ's body? Just the fact that you are here is unifying. But everything you do, you purpose to do fervently to the Lord in order to minister to his body here, how God uses that to unify us. When there's unity in the ranks, the people of God, the army of Christ, can go forward to accomplish anything that he calls on them to do. May God make it so here as we continue to follow these these simple but important truths here in Romans 12. Father, thank you for Good News Baptist Church. Lord, thank you for the trials that you allow to come our way to help us serve each other with the added benefit of greater unity here. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, no matter what happens, we can keep on rejoicing because if something, something even from human standards, tragic happens, to be with the Lord is far better. And so we rejoice. Lord, I don't know what you have said to each heart here, I do know that there are no doubt saints in our midst this morning, they're a little tired. They have been in homes. Some have spent the night in homes where there's a needy member of the family. Lord, they've provided food. They've spent extra time in prayer. They call. They encourage and Lord, you've reminded us this morning, we need your grace to do, do that as unto you. Continuing to pray. But Lord, each of us knows how we are contributing to the unity and health of this church family. And now in this quiet time we have together, Lord, would you help us just to be honest with you about our own hospitality? our own care for those around us and and our church family. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.